Hey guys, just want to take a quick couple of seconds here before this next episode uh, to thank those of you who have left, left us a review on iTunes or the Podbean app. Uh, it means a lot to me. It helps us uh, keep this podcast free and uh, helps us reach more people. I also want to thank those of you who have given us feedback. And I've gotten some uh, good feedback and some constructive criticism on a couple of things. And one of those things that I keep hearing is about the audio quality. Uh, I've even seen some comments where people say, you buy some better equipment. Um, it, it's not has nothing to do with my equipment. I actually have some of the best equipment out there. Um, I just want to explain to you, because this is a perfect example, this next uh, episode here with Robbie Denning, um, where the audio is not where I would love it to be. I am very reliant on the person on the other end. Uh, I, I'm relying on whether or not they have headphones or a microphone. I'm relying on how old their computer is and what type of internet connection they have. When we do um, face-to-face, you know, in-person uh, interviews, you're going to hear the audio quality like this. Super clean, super good. You know, um, but when I'm doing it over the internet, it's not always going to be perfect. And I, I try to, and I keep looking for ways and I'm still looking for ways, uh, to improve on that. So bear with me. Um, most of these guys that you're comparing me to only do, uh, face-to-face interviews and don't do things over the internet. So, um, you know, I'm trying to reach A lot of different guys out there, if I only did it face-to-face, I'd be only working with the same handful of people or only doing things when I went to shows and whatnot, and I really like to keep the information flowing. So um, thanks again for all the feedback. Thanks again for the reviews, and just to let you know that we are working on the uh, doing the remote interview and trying to come up with something cleaner and easier to digest. Thanks again, and here's the next episode. Hi, welcome to the Interviews with Haunting Masters, brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags and Schwacker Broadheads. Uh, today, we are going to talk with uh, my good buddy, Robbie Denning, and we are going to talk a little bit about season scouting and some of the stuff that he does that translates to uh, putting those big boys down. What's going on, man? Hey, buddy. Sorry, I don't know how to read emails and get the time zones right, but we're here. No, no we're good, man. I'm, uh, I, I'm so used to that. It happens so often. And like you had mentioned, the email that's produced by the um, by the service that we use to do these, it's never the right time. Like it's, no, no. And I don't know if it's because it's based on where it's at or what. Yeah. It's, a, it's a pain in the ass. Anyway. Anyways, here we are, bro. Let's talk some big meal there. So I'd like to um, start off by asking you um, what uh, or how, you know, how do you approach your season? Um, you know, let, let's talk about Robbie's season from, from start to end and give us a broad picture and then we'll start picking apart uh, the scouting and whatnot. Okay. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I, I'm, I read a lot of articles, listen to a lot of podcasts, follow a lot of guys, I heard Scotty Thompson on your podcast earlier this week. 
Um, you know, he's pretty much a dedicated mule deer hunter. Um, and, and what I've kind of taken away from listening to all that is that it, it seems to me like the guys that are, that are really getting it done, you know, consistently, they pretty much only hunt mule deer. Um, I've just noticed that, man, there's not a lot of frills in, 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 in what we do. And, and so I was kind of thinking through that as you and I were exchanging emails the last couple of days. And, you know, I, I guess I'm just kind of framing the conversation that, you know, a lot of the stuff is just, it's just time and hard work. And, you know, I'm, I'm 50 now, John. So I'm, you know, I'm probably a lot older than a lot of these, these guys that are, you know, grown up with you know, totally grown up with Google earth and, you know, all that other stuff. Right. And that's, that stuff's great. And, We're going to have to put the pasture soon. Yeah, I do. You know, I'm, I'm feeling it, man. I'm feeling it. So thanks for the reminder here. And, uh, but you know, I just, I guess I just come from a, a different, like I listened to Scotty talk the other day and, you know, he's, he's spending hours and hours and hours on Google earth. And that's awesome. I do not dispute that at all. I, I probably need to do more myself and, and, you know, uh, Brady, uh, Miller from go hunt, um, same thing, you know, he's, he's a, he's a Google earth master. And so I'm just kind of framing the conversation that, you know, while I use that stuff a little bit, I definitely not, you know, that I'm a, I'm a boots on the ground time in the unit type of guy. And so yeah. basically everything we're kind of, kind of talk about comes from that angle. And, and sometimes when I talk to, to non-residents that live a long time, a long ways away, they're a little defeated, like, well, crap, I can't do all that stuff. And, um, you know, and that's why I kind of defer a little bit to some of these younger guys that are, you know, they're, they're, they're better at e-scouting than I am. But what I, what I do tell these, these non-residents, I don't care how good you are at e-scouting. I know guys that are great at e-scouting and they, they still don't get it done on the mountain very often. Um, you still got to combine it with time in the unit, time in the area, not just during the season either. We're going to talk about that today. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if a person lives a long ways away, I still think they can be successful. It's just going to take them longer and they're going to have to, you know, uh, build their base of experience over, you know, over more time than maybe someone who lives at the bottom of the mountain. And, you know, oh, they're sure. a long ways away. They're going to have to keep a better journal, better notes, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. And uh, so anyways, just, just kind of framing the whole thing of, of, of where I come from and kind of how I do it. No, I mean, if I had my cake and eat it too, you know, mm -hmm. um, I take for instance, right? I just drew a Nevada tag and a uh, golden child. Yeah, it's a, it's a good unit too. Um, it's it's uh, it's been said to to have some. I know Greg Croak took a two forty something out of there um, a few years back, but. Um, it's got some big bucks in there, but my problem is there's no way I'm going to get to drive eight and a half, nine hour drive up to where I need to get to, or probably even more than that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and do any kind of scouting before the, before the hunt, the, the hunt starts August 9th. Mm -hmm. Here we are. It's pretty much what is it, uh, last day of, uh, last day of May. That we're recording this. Um, I have a hunt prior to that in California for blacktail. Um, 
so it's like, how do I, how do I do that? How do I tell my wife, Hey, I, I'm going on a yet another trip. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I can't do it because right. I'm gone so often and between my own hunts and then guiding here in Arizona mm-hmm. and South Dakota, mm-hmm. you know, I, I only have so many get out of jail free cards, you know, mm-hmm. before right. my wife is going to be like, yeah. Hey, uh, I'm leaving with the gardener, you know, but, um, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> It's just one of those things. So I have to be proficient with the East Scout. And, and my and my seasons, except for here in Arizona, and even here in Arizona, I don't really have – I never really have the time to scout for myself anymore. Uh, so what I do in Arizona is I, I try to hunt units that I know very well, and then I don't really need that. There you go. But, uh, but you know, from a – my seasons are always like five to seven days. Like I don't really have – Oh, you know, okay, yeah, it's a month-long season. Great. But it's not like I'm going to have a month to go hunt there or even time to go scouting. That's every single one of my hunts. So um, I wish I could do what you're going to talk to us about. So this is definitely uh, one of those um, things that when a guy's got one of those primo units or he's got a unit close to home that he knows holds good deer, um, this is what you need to do to take your your uh the hunts that you could do this with to the next level that and and where i'm i think where robbie was getting at like yeah you know this is yeah and 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 you know what i think sometimes the best way to talk about this stuff is like real world examples that are going on right now rather than kind of you know theory and trying to dig back into my memory bank and so if you don't mind let's just break down your nevada one right now like if i was in your shoes and i live eight or nine hours away from those areas as well you know let's just have a little discussion on that and you know i'll tell you kind of how i would approach it because you already said some things that make me go hmm so if you you don't mind so this is the kind of conversations dude i'm having on rock slide and um, social media weekly with guys, especially this time of year, you know, with all the applications going in and all the draw results coming out. And, um, you know, and, 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 and I'll be talking from, from my perspective, and you and I are different people. You know, I focus on just big meal deer. You're, you know, you're out there, you know, hunting everything from, from bugs to bears to, to deer to <laughs> elk. To, I mean, you know, you're a, you're a you know, multi-species hunter, and, and the way I understand it, you know, you'll, you've, you've taken big animals, but that's not always your focus. I mean, you're just getting out there, putting in the days, you know, filling the tags, right? Correct. Okay. So that is that, so we, me in a nutshell. I have a couple of good ones on the wall, um, but for the most part, uh, most of my uh, dead zoo is, uh, is, is medium sized, respectable. Mm-hmm representations i'm not out there shooting spikes but um you know i'm not uh if i see if i see a 150 mule deer in a unit that i've never hunted before and you know i don't have a problem going after a 150 which is great so your experience base and your and your 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 ability to kill animals that you find is honestly it's going to be better than mine dude i have not killed a deer with my bow in nine years and i've hunted Gosh, I think it's wow. 150 to 180 days, but that's because I'm I'm focused. In, and by the way, I'm not a very good archery hunter, but um, that's because I'm focusing on the you know the biggest best deer that I can find. And I'm typically hunting in areas where I, I can't. I'm not just going to hunt them with a bow. 
has also got chances to go back. But anyways, but back back to kind of kind of your perspective. First of all, um, you know, you're the one that said it. You said, "Hey, a 240 buck came out of this area," but we got to define it. Did you put in for that area to get a 240 buck or even a 200 buck? Is that going to be your goal for that tag? I put in for that area to get a 180 buck. Okay, so you're you're you know those giants are out there, but you know that's that's your goal buck right there and better. Yeah. And so you know, it sounds like you probably overcame some pretty tough odds to get this tag. Yeah, I mean, I had six points, so it's not like yeah, the six years of your life invested it, into this. It, it's a it's a ten-point unit, mm-hmm. and I and I and I know it's six. Sweet, sweet, so sweet. okay, so that's the first thing I kind of want to start with, because what I find is there's a lot of guys out there that are like, "Hey, man, I'm happy with a one seventy, you know, one eighty buck. I've never got one, or you know, I don't need a two hundred. Da da da." Yet when I look at their application strategy, they're putting in for units that are, are some of the hardest in the West to draw because those are the ones with the reputation. And, you know, they just and I do the same thing. I mean, it's like, oh, we know the big ones are there. So if there's there's two twenties, two forties. Well, there's definitely my goal buck there. Well, I've kind of changed that over the last 10 years. And I have a hunt coming up this year. If I draw it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to play right into this. That's like. Well, if I'm happy with with smaller bucks, why am I chasing these giant tags? You know, um, 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 my expo seminar that I did in February, you know, I pulled up all of Go Hunt's um, um, filters for all their units, and I just put in you know, like 180 buck um, over the counter tag, or you know, something you could get within two years. I can't remember how I set up the filters. Dude, it came up with hundreds of units across the West, literally hundreds. And I, I showed them to the crowd. I'm like, okay, so if you're happy with 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 what your true goal buck is, um, which by the way, John, mine's usually about 182. Of course, I'm always looking for a better one, but you know, I mean, I'll, I'll do that. Well, oh, yeah. automatically we're setting ourselves up for failure by applying for units that everybody else is after because, you know, that's where the outfitters are focused. That's where the uh, you know, that's where all the big, big deer are, are being taken from. So, so you drew the tag. We're going to go forward with this conversation with that tag, with that in mind. But if you're the, if you're the guy sitting out there and podcast nation going, yeah, man, I'm just not even drawing the tags. Okay. Well, take a look at your application strategy. And if you don't have to have a 200 inch buck to be happy, your, your odds just went way up because in every state, if you look at it, the worst draw odds on average, and almost always, not even just average, are in the the, the, the units that Boone and Crockett has defined as the, you know, the best trophy potential through their through their you know previously the record books and now you know through all their online stuff that you can do and you know the Boone and Crockett mm-hmm. trophy search and everything. Uh, go to go to to the, um, um, the 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 mapping systems now that you can open and you know, press the filter and it'll tell you, everybody knows where those counties are. John, it was not a long, long time ago that I remember like people didn't really know all the counties where the really big deer came from. You know, they knew about Rio Riva, New Mexico, Eagle County, Colorado, you know, and then after that, it just got real foggy. Well, now, dude, we got, we got, you know, basement jockeys that are, you know, making their, their application is as, as the same as, as the guy that's, you know, he's really trying to get into the record books. And so so all I'm trying to say is that's a good way to improve our odds is try to get mm-hmm. our eyeballs off of these units that um, that are known for the biggest and the best deer. And then you're going to get to go hunting more often. 
because that's kind of our goal, right? And so, um, so, right. so that's the first thing I would have looked at is, man, do I really need to be applying in a unit that Greg Curl's knocking over giants in if I'm going to be happy with a 180? Because, you know, John, I've spent time in Nevada. I've had several tags down there. There's right. 180 bucks in units that they're not even sleeper units. There's oh, units that people aren't even really focused on. And, you know what I mean? Same, same thing here in Arizona. I mean, uh, you can find a 200-inch buck in every unit, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean they're around every corner. So let, let, let me back up a little bit. So just to clarify, I am not going out there with the idea if I see a 180 buck and that's the one I'm going to kill on the first day, but that's my goal for this tag is not to go home with something under. Yeah. So like, I mean... Again, I, you kind of said it. I'm not. Su- I'm not a super trophy hunter, um, but I'm going to spend a few days trying to turn up that 200 inch buck. But again, I'm only there for seven days, and I'm not going to squander six years of my life that I was putting in for this tag, um, and not come home with something that I would be happy for. With I'm not going. Like I said, I'm not going to just shoot something just to shoot something, but. Um, I don't want to. I'm. I'm gonna like. I'm gonna have a hard time passing a 180 on day three for sure of a seven day hunt. Yeah, for sure. I think, <laughs> and that's my point. I think a lot of us would have a hard time. Yet sometimes we're chasing the the very best units out there. So, anyways, I just wanted to get that out there to maybe kind of help people that are because I meet guys all the time that are, oh man, if I could get a 13A archery tag in Arizona, and I'm like, what kind of buck do you want to shoot? Oh man, I don't know, 180, 190, like. Jimmy, there's a lot of units in the West that have those, and you don't oh, need yeah. to wait 16 years to get them. So, so, anyways, just just kind of oh, yeah. moving on from that. I wanted, to, I just want to help people there that that'll that'll help improve their draws right there. And I've had to go through that myself, you know, and 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 you know, take a look at other units that maybe are not so traditionally known. And, and yeah, there's not two thirty bucks in them either. I get that, but. You know, it's there's 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 180 bucks that aren't don't have a, a million spotting scopes pointed at them, and you know the best outfitters in the world on top of them, and you know millions of trail yep. cameras. You, you know what I mean? And 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 plus, then you yep. get a then you get a little better chance to hunt them too, because you can usually hunt them a little bit more often. So 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 uh, that's kind of something I try to think about, and that's why my application strategy it's pretty diverse. I do apply for some of those tags. I mean, it's. Arizona has such a late application date for deer. I usually have my seasons pretty much set up by the time Arizona rolls around on uh, early June. And yep. so I'm always doing long shots in Arizona because, you know, I've got, I've got the points and, you know, it's, I, it doesn't matter to me if I don't get to go hunting because I'm going to get those somewhere else. Okay. Where if, if Arizona changed that and they move that to, you know, January, that would totally change my application strategy. Cause now I'm like, okay, I got enough points to draw everything except for the very very best and so you know i could jump into some medium tier you know mid-tier units that you know are not you know they're not making the pages of the magazines on the must apply list and you know probably pretty much guarantee my hunt and this is where i'm going with this john is you know you 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 said it you got august 9th it's coming up and you know that's what seven weeks away and so, yeah, yeah it's, quick. It's, it's quick, you know, eight, eight, nine weeks away, I guess it is. Um, and, you know, you already have a California tag, and that's the next thing I want to hit on. Okay, so if you want a 180 buck, do you think you're going to kill one in California on that tag? Uh, it, listen, uh, the, my California thing, 
I've been five years. This is going to be year number six. I've been five years to go kill a blacktail in A-Zone. And every year, something happens where I'm right there and I screw it up some way or another or something like the gods don't want me to have a blacktail deer. So I got an axe to grind. And this is something (laughs) that I needed. You know, I'm like... I'm like, I've killed sheep. I've killed Ibex. I've killed freaking coos. I mean, like anything you could possibly imagine. I've, you know, that you put on the, on the list of hard things to, I've killed Eastern whitetail spot and stock, you know, and then I can't seem to kill a blacktail. And it's not for not a lack of opportunity. And I've been, okay, how hard is it to get this blacktail tag? Very easy. Very easy. Okay, so, it's so, basically so dude, 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 you're making my case, right? Yeah. You're making my case. Okay. So you just told me that. I don't have time to go scout. Um, it's August 9th. I've got this other hunt in the way. And I'm just telling you how I'm thinking. I'm just yeah, telling yeah. you that you know, some of the stuff is pretty non-traditional. Mm-hmm. And it's the mistakes I saw Robbie Denning making for many years. And sometimes I still get too excited and buy too many tags and all that stuff. But you're making my case. You've got a, 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 an axe to grind on a, on, a, on a hunt that, you know, for whatever reason, hasn't panned out. But you could go on that hunt in 2021 or 2020, it sounds like. You could get that tag. So let's just say, let's just say that John Stallone eats that tag. And dude, I eat a lot of tags, trust me. I I eat tags that I never even stepped foot on the real estate. It's my donation to wildlife management. You know, I do it used it to be kind of a punch in the gut, but now I'm like, hey, you know, I'm I'm supporting the I'm supporting the wildlife agencies by buying a tag and not killing a deer. And so let's just say you gave that tag back. Dude, you just got back a week. Am I wrong? Yep, absolutely. Okay, there you go, buddy. And so that's all I'm saying. I, I, that's that, that's how I think now is like, okay, I got this one and six year Nevada tag, at least six years, probably 10, you know, like you said. And so, man, I want to have as much time as I can. Now, what, what would that time be dedicated to for me, for Robbie Denning? Well, first of all, dude, I'd be trying to figure out how to get down there. And uh, preseason, I'd be trying to get down there, you know, I guess Nevada's trail camera ban goes, starts August 1st. So I'd be down there in July, man. I'd be setting those cameras up. I'd be, I'd be, you know, trying. And the other thing I'd be trying to do, this is, this is huge, John. This is what I see a lot of people kind of miss out on and you can't really get it on the internet. I would be down there trying to meet people, not necessarily hunters. Because, man, if, I, if I'm up walking up a trail and I run into Greg Crow, well, dude, first of all, he's probably going to have on a fake beard, fake mustache, and, and sunglasses. You know, he's not going to want to be spotted. I, you know, I, I don't know, Greg, but I'm just, I'm just thinking that's how I'd be acting if, if you showed up in my, my best unit. You know, so I'm not going to get a lot of information from him. Um, you know, but I'm looking for, you know, dude, I'm looking for the, the BLM guy that's out there checking stock tanks that, you know, maybe he's not even a hunter and, and I'm looking for the family that's recreating and, you know, maybe there's a guy there and he's kind of interested in my truck and we start talking and I find out his grandpa used to hunt that ridge right over there. And even though he doesn't hunt it, he goes, I know he shot a couple of big bucks over there. That's the kind of stuff, John, that really starts to make a hunt gel for me when I can get out there and talk to people. I heard Scotty Thompson talking about it the other day. Man. I mean, that's, that's why I posted that podcast on my Instagram, John. It wasn't because you were inviting me on. I want to do you a favor. It's because he is talking the stuff, man. He is talking the uncommon but common sense kind of stuff out there. And mm-hmm. if you go look at his walls, he's got more big bucks than any young hunter that I know. And, and I consider him young. 
And, um, you know, for the amount of years that he's put in, he's got a lot of them. And, and you know, but, but that's what he was saying. You know, he's trying to meet people in the unit. He's trying to spend time there. So I'm trying, what I'm trying to get at, John, is we remove all excuses. We remove all reasons of why can I not spend the maximum amount of time to get the most out of this, this tag, especially a really good draw tag like what you've got there, John. I mean, that's why I called you the golden child, dude. You drew a Nevada good tag. Those are hard to come by, buddy. And I want to, I want to milk that thing for all I can. And the only way I can do that is be present as much as possible and, you know, and yeah, of course, I'd love to lay my my 15 power binoculars on a great big old buck on August 1st. And I know right where he is and I give him a name and, you know, nobody I, I'd love all that. Often that's not the result of scouting. It's just narrowing down your unit. Like, OK, I'm not going to hunt here because you know, I talk to a lot of people. There's just nothing's going on over here. And in fact, everybody I talk to says hunt right here in the unit and looking at it, it seems like that's where all the trail cameras are. That's where all the people are. So I don't want to hunt there either. So I've just I just narrowed down a giant unit into into two places I'm not going to hunt, and sometimes that's all that scouting is doing is I'm not going right. to hunt there, I'm not going to hunt there, but I am going to hunt right here, and just narrowing it down, narrowing it down, narrowing it down, and that's the stuff. That's why I'm a big on the ground type of guy because you can't get that kind of recon anywhere else, and 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 you know when a guy from Missouri tells me, well, I can't go do it, I'm like, wait, wait, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, I live eight to 12 hours from units that I've killed big deer in. And, you know, I've had to, I've had to apply these same things that we're talking about over the years. And, um, you know, I, it doesn't always work out. That's why I know I can speak as an authority, as a non-resident, cause I'm a non-resident in many places. You know, I have to, I have to go through these same processes and every time, just about every time, if I make, to, to, to spend as much time as I can there, then it, it, usually it pays off. And so, so that's, that's where I'm kind of going with all this, John. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I is, hear you. you know, sure. Focused as we can. And, and for me personally, that's why I only hunt mule deer. Now I don't recommend that for people. It's pretty flipping boring. It's, you know, it's not for everybody. And guys like you have a lot more fun than me, John. I mean, every year I'm listening to you. You, you killed this. You went on this hunt. You know, you're doing this hunt. I mean, you, you, that stuff's fun. But people come to me for, okay, how do I kill a big deer? So I'm just telling them, this is how I do it. Yeah. No, I mean, it makes sense. Listen, if you're, uh, if you're a doctor and you're a general practitioner, you know, you're, you're not the guy that you want to go to when you need, uh, you know, knee surgery, you're looking for the guy that specializes when you're, you're a guy that does a certain thing every, every year, every day, whatever, and you live and breathe that certain thing, of course, you're going to be better at it. So yes, being a, um, multi-species guy like myself, I'm never going to be awesome at any one particular animal, but I'm going to be above average at everything. Um, I think the one thing that I, I've, for myself that I noticed that I, I feel like I've excelled at is the fact that I can go anywhere for anything and do fairly well at it now, you know, like, but so, and, and, and I don't know, like if, I'm going to use like a, a back East whitetail guy, you know, guy that's super, really good at 
hunting whitetail back east, he may not have any success coming out west to do uh, a mule deer hunt or you know an elk hunt or whatever. But be, but because I'm very well rounded, I feel like I could go anywhere, any country, any state, whatever, and have success. Uh, I've seen you do it. It's just, but am I going to come home with the biggest, baddest animal on the mountain that day? Probably, or that, that trip? Probably not because, you know, well, one, my goals aren't lofty, but two, I, I don't have this specialization. Now, there, there is a few animals out there that I would consider myself a, a quote-unquote expert on, but um, it's, it's only because the amount of time I've spent hunting that one animal, but I still don't live and breed those things, you know? Like you do with mule deer. Yeah, and that's why I gotta always kind of clarify that the background that I'm coming from. I don't know. I I can only tell people what's working for me. But I am fully aware there are guys out there that are multi-species runners. Jason Carter, he kills big stuff in every category. Um, you know, there's guys that are getting it done, but I'm not those guys. And and so you know, when people are, are talking to me about this stuff i just try to say hey this this is what i would do this is how i would do it and um and i'm not the greatest hunter either i mean that's some of it i'm not very for the amount of days i put in versus the amount of deer i kill that's why my hat's off to scotty thompson dude is you know he gets it done man he gets it done and and, um you know it's not that i hunt more than him but uh, you know i'm just looking at how uh, his age and what he's put on the ground, because this guy makes the most use of every single day. And looking back over this, I'm not so sure that I did. Um, but anyway, so so on the on the Nevada thing is you know is get focused. That would that would be my message on that one. Free up as much time, clear that schedule out. You go on that blacktail hunt anytime, you know, and and, and probably a, a multitude of other things that could earn you get out of jail passes, you know. And, right. and I'm not even thinking hunting, dude. I'm just thinking that this is why I don't hunt elk. Everybody asks me, how can you don't elk? How come you don't elk? You know, I'll, I'll go to I'll go to the mountains, I'll bring get back some some phone scope pictures of you know a 330 bull and general unit. People are like, why aren't you hunting him? I'm like, well, because that's that's one more day I'm not hunting mule deer, or it's it's one more day that I'm I'm not home taking care of life. I mean, I got a life too. I got three little kids, I got a you know, stay-at-home wife, I'm blessed to have all that, but you know, I'm pedaling for five. And so, mm-hmm. so if I'm not off hunting, I'm home getting things taken care of, making life run so that when I can go, I can go, I can focus. You know, people are like, gosh, how do you get hunt 13 days in a row? <laughs> because, because I set my life up so that I can hunt 13 days in a row. And when I, and, and I mean, John, I've got bears and elk. I mean, I, I hunted all that stuff, whitetails. I, I, I've got all those species, mm-hmm. but back when I was doing that, it was just spreading me thin financially yeah because I'm not a wealthy guy I do okay but I'm not a wealthy guy and I'm uh, uh, spreading me thin financially and then spreading me thin energy wise and I kind of figured it out that you know if I'm if I'm if I'm home sharpening my mind get keeping life running or I'm able to just free up some days and instead of going to California and hunt blacktails I can go to uh, put all those days towards my Nevada tag mm-hmm. then I just started doing better. But it's not, it's not a guarantee either, John. You could do all this stuff and still totally get spanked in Nevada. Totally get spanked. Oh, yeah. 
And then your your buddy that goes and gets the goes to California and gets the blacktail, he finally gets the 182 blacktail that you've been after. And that <laughs> that stuff happens, but that's the life of a big mule deer hunter right there. And I but I've learned if you can if you can just stack enough of those opportunities together, enough of those seasons together, and, and yeah, there's going to be failures. There's going to be way more failures than successes. But man, you're going to hit the you're going to hit the lottery. You know, I've done it 30 times. I know that it's going to happen. And but for me, it's always happened by getting that just making those sacrifices so that I could just be laser focused as much as possible. And and what I would say to a multi-species hunter is you don't have to change and, you know, do just do mule deer. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that for this year, right now, right, right now, you, you, you know, you, you're the golden child, dude. You got a Nevada tag and a great unit. And this isn't going to come around for a long time. And you can do all this other stuff later is how I would look at that. And you can still be a multi-species hunter. But, you know, I, I, after that season closes, you know, you can go back to, to doing all that other stuff. And then you won't have any regrets, John. You won't be you won't be thinking, oh, man, if I'd have, if I'd have learned this mountain or, gosh, that one night I got lost coming back to camp because I didn't know the area. And then I slept in the next morning. You know, you won't you won't be having those regrets. Um, you know, you'll 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 at least know filled tag or not punch tag or not you know what i gave it everything i got man i i, I went for the gold and yeah i didn't i didn't even win the bronze but I, but i went for it but what i'm telling you is occasionally you do win the gold yeah and that's what happened to me last year john that's this this whole scenario we're talking about played out with me last year just just going through my tags and you know not doing well not doing well but because i'd saved enough days i was able to to be on the mountain when it counted and you know took the best buck i've taken in years you know the widest buck i've taken in like 18 years you know and and and, but when i look back it was just it's those saturdays i was home trimming the hedges because (laughs) i gave up fishing or whatever actually played into that because it gave me days when i could be out there and, and so anyways, I'm going on and on, bud, but, no. but I just wanted to kind of hit that right there and, you know, let everybody know that's, that's where my difference in thinking is. And some of the most focused, dedicated, um, um, successful Mueller hunters I meet are, are operating on that level. And that's why I keep bringing up Scotty Thompson. Cause every time I listen to him, I'm like, doesn't surprise me that dude has a bunch of big bucks. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Let's get into some of this other stuff though, too. All the Asking about like what does your preseason look like, and so I thought, well, let me divide up my whole season so we can actually define what preseason is to me. Um, so, you know, if I if I take the year, you know, the, the twelve months of the year, and you know, gotta admit it, man, I'm a mule deer addict. I'm thinking about them every day. Okay, so we're back. Um, so w- what we were talking about is, you know, what do I do in the preseason? So you and I just kind of got done talking about applications and stuff like that but so i had to divide up the year into 12 months into the sections of the 12 months to kind of figure out what am i doing when and so the, the this is how i break it up um starting in january and then ending in april that's kind of my my winter range and application part of the year and we already talked about the application so we'll just kind of right. talk about what i'm thinking with the winter range and everything so that's january through april so basically in in before the antlers drop which is you know most of the places i go kind of mid-february and and i don't spend a ton of time out there john i am not an antler 
hunter. You know, I got real soured on that with the way that it's gone over the years. And it's just not that productive anymore because it's so hard to, you know, just, just pick up bucks and, and you know, there's just, just too many people doing it. But um, I do like to go out and glass a lot in the winter. And, you know, some winters, this is like, you know, 20 days. Some winters, it's like four. It just depends on what's going on, you know, with work and everything else. But I'm trying to take a look at the bucks that made it through um, the, from, the, from, the, from the hunting season. And then also winter conditions. And, you know, I live in the Intermountain Northwest. I hunt a lot in the Intermountain Northwest, you know, Idaho, you know, northern Utah, western Wyoming. Um, you know, that's kind of my, my, my stomping grounds for the most part, maybe a little bit in northern Nevada. And so, you know, we're affected by winter range. That's, excuse me, winter kill. That's what's going right. to determine a big, big chunk of what made it through. So I'm trying to determine that from January through April by getting eyes on bucks. Um, and then also visiting some years, the winter range, um, late spring. So this year I volunteered on that uh, Wyoming's um, mule deer survey. They do one down by Evanston, Wyoming, and they do one um, by um, uh Cokeville, Wyoming. And this is something they've been doing for 25 years. They get volunteers, they go out on the winter range and they give you a little form and you go out and you're just cataloging dead deer. You know, is it a, is it a buck? Is it a doe? Is it an adult? Is it a farm? And because they got 25 years of data, you know, they kind of know what to expect and, you know, what's what's an ebb and flow in the population. So got I'm it. applying for Wyoming this year. And so you know, I jumped right in on that study. I mean, I want to be out there rubbing shoulders with the people that manage mule deer, with the people that know the country, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, I had to travel a couple hundred miles to do this. You know, this wasn't just out of my, my back door. Evanston, Wyoming is, I remember, 170 miles from me here. Um, but, you know, I, I, I made the trip down there, took the horses, you know, met everybody. And we got to spend two days on the winter range out there. And even if I'm not volunteering for a formal study like that, I'll do some of that stuff even on my own. I'll visit just different winter ranges later in the spring. You know, sometimes these are just hiking trips, but, you know, you can get a good feel for, okay, there's no dead deer this year. And we had a really, really good winter. But what we found on this Wyoming study is that, you know, they, they got hammered. You know, the deer in western Wyoming got hammered again this year. Unfortunate, it happened in 1617, and so we lost the 2016 fawns. Now we've lost the 2018 fawns. So we got a, a big gap in the age class, you know, coming up. But because of that, I actually decided to apply because it's not going to get any better. It's not, you know, we got two missing age classes. It's not like I can wait, you know, a, a couple more years. It's actually going to be worse in a couple more years, you know, because the 2016 bucks by 2020 and 21 would be the four or five-year-old bucks I'm interested in. There's hardly any of them left. And 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 right. then that's going to repeat itself again in, in 2022. And so there was really nothing to wait for. And so I just went ahead and applied. So you know, I, that's one story about one specific place and one specific tag. But what I would have your listeners take away from that is I cleared the schedule. I made the time to get out there and get the intel to help me make the very best decision on, on where to apply or where not to apply. So I'm always trying to do that in, in some form or another. And, and so if you live a long ways from mule deer country, you got a couple choices. I got a friend named Les Welch that lives in Wisconsin. He's one of our writers on Rockslide. He just, he's not a wealthy guy either. Okay. He's a working stiff with kids like the rest of us. He just flew out to Colorado to hunt antlers for a weekend. 
and took mm-hmm. his son, you know, 14 year old son, something like that. They made a weekend out of it. Um, he's more of an elk hunter, but you know, just same thing, kind of gathering the intel, talking to the locals, you know, that kind of stuff. That information is powerful. And so when I hear people say, well, I just can't do that. Sometimes it goes back to what we talked about in the earlier part of this podcast. I'm like, okay, maybe you're just not willing to do it. You know, I'm not saying everybody can, but I'm just saying if don't make excuses, if you can do it, do it. It, it, it pays off. It really does. It pays off. But if you can't, then you need to be on the phone talking to these these game managers, biologists, game wardens, all the people I got to meet on these studies. I mean, I'm standing one foot away from them for six hours of the day. I can ask them anything I want. Well, you can pick up the phone and do that. But I'm here to tell you that when you're out there putting in the blood, sweat and tears, helping them manage mule deer, their lips are a lot looser. Okay. Um, and, and so that's why I, I try to do that stuff. But if you can't, then, then the next best thing is, is get in touch with them, you know, talk to them, get some ideas of what's going on. I'm asking questions about, you know, how was the winter, you know, how's the moisture levels? What's, what's our, what's our, what's our, what's our deer herd uh, um, looking like right now? What's the long-term trend? If they know what percent of four point bucks are in the harvest, from the previous year, I want to know that too because I've kind of found that any unit that has you know roughly forty percent of four point bucks in the harvest, so you know uh-huh. for every hundred bucks they shoot, forty percent of them are four points. Now, if you're a naysayer, you're going to go, oh, they're killing all the big bucks. But if you've been doing it for a long right. time, you're going to go, no, wait a minute, that means there's a decent amount of fair, uh, mature bucks in the herd. Otherwise. They can't kill what's not there. Right. Now, you got to be careful with that because, you know, like a big snowstorm can come in on the opening weekend of a season and the the, the four-point harvest will be like 80%. And you think, oh, wow, man, this may be, Rob Denning said there'll be a lot of mature bucks there. No, that could just be over harvest due to an event right there. So that's where you kind of got to go back and look at the kind of what's the long-term trend. It's like, I don't know, these guys are more like 20 you know, 18% four points on most years. And all of a sudden you get this one blip. I almost guarantee you, 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 you figure out what that was. It was a weather event, you know, there's, or something, a big influx of hunters one year. I, I, it's hard to say, but if I can get that data, then I, then I know that, okay, that unit is worth looking at. And the good news about that number, that 40% is there's a lot of units out there. You can get a tag in that, that, that posts those kind of numbers. Um, you know, and I'm talking, you know, Utah, Idaho, Wyoming, you know, the ones I'm kind of uh, familiar with, Colorado, a lot of units are, are that way. And I'm not talking, you know, the six year to draw units. I'm talking the stuff that you can get every, every year. Years. Yeah. Yeah. So, but anyways, so that's kind of what my January through April looked like. Some spotting, uh, get out and do some spotting. Um, if I find a big buck, sure, I'll go after him and try to pick up his antlers. But, you know, that's kind of going by the wayside now. But definitely just getting a feel for what's going on with the deer so I can I can make the best choices. And sometimes I'm visiting a winter range even a year prior to applying for it because, you know, maybe I have the points or whatever. I'm going to draw something this year. But I'm like, hey, I'm really thinking about applying that for that in 2020, you know, maybe I'll go look at it while the deer are on the winter range and, you know, kind of get a feel for it. Um, So, so that's kind of my January through April. And then, you know, into May too, you know, May is a good time to visit winter range. If you're looking at, um, you know, some winter ranges are closed until May, which I fully support, you know, because it keeps the people out of there while the, while the deer are vulnerable, but you can get out there and you can pick up some antlers, you know, um, look at winter kill stuff like that. But really by the time I get into May, um, I'm now, I mean, I think I'm getting ready for the season all year round, but I'm really now starting to think of my weapons, you know, I'm shooting them, you know, I'm, I, I, I shot, 
60, 70 rounds through my muzzle loader over the, you know, the, the Memorial Day weekend. You know, all my friends are off fishing. They're posting 10 pound fish on Facebook and, you know, I'm just dying here. But, um, you know, I, 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 I'm going to apply for muzzleloader tag this year. It's Idaho. So our muzzleloader laws are very restrictive. They truly are trying to make you shoot like a 75 yard gun. And, you know, there's some, some workarounds on that to try to get out to 100, 125 with their, with their, with their law. So I'm just making sure that if I do draw this tag that, you know, I've got a gun that I, I feel to me, it's like, ethical like do i even feel ethical pointing a gun at a deer that shoots a you know seven inch group at 75 yards so you know i'm dialing in the weapons this is when um i'm hitting the um the 3d shoots um you know i went years without being able to go to 3d shoots just because of my my family life and everything just little kids and stuff but you know now that my son's getting a little bit older that's getting a little bit easier so i've already hit a 3d shoot this year and i've already been um um, I, I go to the archery range every Thursday, which I kind of do through the winter too, but you know, I'm really dialing it in now. I just had a couple hundred bucks worth of work done on my bow, you know, new strings, everything. Um, that was just last week because I'm dialing everything in, I'm making sure that when, uh, July rolls around, I'm not like, Oh, I need to be sighting in my rifle or, Oh, I need to be, you know, start shooting my bow. No, man, that's when I need to be on the mountain. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah, and I've made that mistake, John. I've like, you know, awesome. I, I drew a great tag, and frick, I don't even know where my muzzle loader is. And geez, do do I have any brass? Oh, yeah. I mean, I I hate that stuff. And 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 the reason I hate it is because there's been a few times, dude, over the years, I'm up at midnight on the night before the opener, and I'm farting around with gear and trying to reload bullets and you know it'll probably happen again just the way robbie denning is but you know and then i show up on the mountain dude i'm i'm frazzled i'm not dialed i'm not rested i'm not focused and that just plays over into how you hunt oh, i yeah. to learn that sure. you know i take my attitude from home to the mountain so if i'm frazzled at home i'm frazzled on the mountain there's a lot to be said about being confident or having that confidence Mm-hmm. I take mm-hmm. last, my my whole season last year. Um, I'm one of those guys that I shoot. I like to shoot one bow, one setup. I don't like change it for 3D. I don't change it for target. Mm-hmm. Last year, I was shooting three different bows um, because I had set one up for Oregon because I, I was had to shoot uh, fixed broadheads and I was trying to shoot a heavy setup because I kept hearing that I was going to get a frontal shot and this and that, whatever. So and that, and I was also going to hunt with my, uh, recurve bow on a hunt. So I was hunting with my normal setup, my heavy setup, and then my recurve. And I was practicing between these three things. And then I had a couple different rifle hunts and, and I just kept like flip-flopping between all these things. And I never like gained in the confidence that I usually would have. And so the whole season, I just felt very, very unprepared. And I'll tell you what, last year was the worst season I had. Um, and I say worst season, I mean my least uh, successful in harvest that I've had in like 15 plus years was I've been for 15 years straight. I filled 85% of my tags and that's having seven to 10, seven to 12 tags a year. Um, for 15 years. And then last year I literally shot a hog, a white tail buck and a white tail doe with my recurve. And that was it. 
everything else. What do you attribute that to? That change. I, I mean, some of it had to do with I. I said to myself, I'm going to be a little bit more picky. So some of it was, I was going for a bigger, older age class. So you know, automatically you're, mm-hmm. you know, right. there's less of those available. So, you, but I, I really feel like I didn't have. I just didn't have the time and I felt very rushed with every season that I went, every tag that I had felt very rushed and I felt very, very, very unprepared. Mm-hmm. And, yep. you know, I, the only thing I did do last year was I got into physical shape, but mm-hmm. normally I'm in physical shape. I'm in bow shape. I know my, I know my weapons in and out. Mm-hmm. I, I was wearing even, even, because I was doing a backpack review, I was wearing different backpacks. And you know, people don't think that that makes a difference, but like, does, yeah, just a little efficiencies of knowing where which pocket things are in, and yes, just like totally. the way it feels in your body. Like those are the things that I think make what a uh, now I'm going to sound conceited, but what make an elite hunter versus you know your weekend oh, warrior is, is the guys that can see and you know feel the differences between all these little things because they're so they're so reliant on their preparation and their gear and this and that that to make everything go smoothly and man last year was not and this year I'm feeling like I'm starting to head that way too because I haven't been shooting as much so I, I made a pact with myself two weeks ago uh, which is really late in the game for me that every Tuesday and Thursday I'm going to go uh, do stairwells in the morning and then right after that i'm going to do uh my my shooting um go shoot my bow uh man my dog's going crazy i don't know if you can hear him um and and then monday wednesday friday i'm gonna go to the gym in the morning so that i can get all these things in in time and feel like hey you know because up until last year i never released an arrow and ever in my life hoping that it was going to hit its target. I mm-hmm. always thought, I mean, that doesn't mean I didn't miss, but mm-hmm. every time I released my arrow, I was like, this, this fucker's dead. Excuse my French. But, uh, and last year I didn't feel that way. Like I took a couple of shots that I shouldn't have felt that way, but I felt to myself, I'm like, man, man, I hope I killed this deer. You know, like mm-hmm. I did it in North in South Dakota. And I was like, Whoa. yeah, like I didn't feel it, and I didn't. I missed. I missed. I missed them completely. I mean, it's like I don't know. It's just if you don't have the confidence, um, and this is coming from a guy that like you know shoots coyotes on the run with a bow. Like I, I was not like I just wasn't there last year and this year. Um, I don't feel like I'm there yet, but I'm I'm working to get there. So <laughs> it's yeah, just, but I, I I I hear what you need. That stuff matters. It's, it's part that stuff of it. matters, and that's why I get more focused the older I get. Because you know, I I, I you, you talked about you know elite elite level. Um, you know, I I don't take any shame in that. I don't think that's bragging. You know, Tiger Woods, look what he just did. The dude is elite. He stayed focused yeah. all these years through all the crap that a lot of it he caused himself. But I mean, he, he, he stayed focused. He stayed, he did elite level things and elite things happened. I don't think it's any different with hunting. Now, if again, I, I don't want to be divisive in, in the hunting world. If you are totally happy out there with, you know, just, just getting your meat for the year and all that. No, awesome. That's awesome, man. That is, you're having more fun than me on average. Okay. Because the pressure is not there. 
But, you know, when this, I've said it a couple times in the podcast. When people ask me, you know, what does it take? I'm going to tell them what it takes. And, and, and to me, you got to you got to do elite level things consistently year after year after year to get elite level results and all that stuff that you just talked about, John, you just gave a great example. And I've had years just like that. I just go into them frazzled, you know, and I, and I, and yeah, maybe, maybe things will work out and I'll do fine. I mean, it's not that you live in a perfect world, but I know that the more that I've been able to organize my life where I'm, I'm dialed and I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. The gear is ready to go. You know, the bucks are scouted, the country's scouted. I know where I'm going. I, confidence. You said it. It just puts your confidence way up there. It's it's a recipe for success. It's not 100% because there's lots of, dude, I have a whole drawer full of tags. I have I have not punched most of the tags I've bought in my life. Okay, I've probably punched 20, 25% of them is, is all I'm running right now. Um, and um, and even if that number's wrong, I know it's less than 50. I mean, I, I eat a lot of tags. Um, and so but if you're doing these things like what you're talking about, then you know, stacking them up year after year, good stuff's going to happen. So that's really what I'm thinking about right now, you know, in kind of May and June, getting the gear dialed in. And, 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 you know, that can be trail cameras. I'm not a huge trail camera guy because I'm not in an area where they're super productive, but I do use them if I know of a good saddle, a good natural salt lick, um, a, um, a water source in a dry area. You bet, man, I'm all over it. I'm all over it. But, you know, I think I own eight trail cameras or something like that. You know, I'm not the guy that's got a truckload of trail cameras. That's just not me, but that's just because around here they're, they're not as effective, you know, but, but that I'm getting that stuff all dialed in. That stuff takes a lot of time too. Um, and, and so that's really what, what, what I'm thinking about in, in, in May and June, I'm glad you mentioned the fitness thing. I mean, most people know I've been a personal training director for 28 years. That's kind of what I do. I'm not an elite level fitness guy at all. Um, um, but I do work out year round. And so that this time of year, I'm doing what we call peaking. My workouts are getting shorter, a little bit more intense. You know, I'll try to keep that up into the into the summer because, you know, once hunting season comes around, you know, I'm not working out, you know, hardly at all. Um, and so, you know, I want to make sure that I'm I'm as close to, to, to being at the best I can be, you know, all injuries, all things considered um, for hunting season. You know, I don't need to be able to me personally, I don't need to be able to run a marathon to kill big meal deer. If you do run marathons, that's great. They're going to, you're going to be a last better on the hunt, all that good stuff. Okay. And, um, so once then, once we get, you know, to the end of June, that's when I'm starting to get out in the field. The bucks antlers are mostly formed. Um, I've seen 30 inch outside spread bucks the last week of June before. And so, you know, they're, you know, they, they still have a ways to go, but, you know, you can get a really good idea of, of what they, what they're going to be. And because I live and I hunt, you know, all elevations, you know, from 4,000 feet to 11,000 feet, I, um, I, I kind of be careful with how high I go early in the season. So the, the, the June, July stuff is kind of lower country deer, kind of what I call your BLM deer. You know, they're living in the sage, you know, they're just, they're not, they're not the high country deer. You can get burned on that. Um, and, and, and like this year we've got near record snowpack and, you know, we're having a cool spring. We've got three inches of rain in, in, uh, 
May, which is a lot. I live in the desert. That's a lot. And so we're going to have a pretty late spring and even a late summer. And so I'm not all itching to get into the high stuff, you know, 9, 10, 11,000 feet. I'm not all itching to get into that till probably mid-July, late July. There'll be some guys that are that are going earlier. That's all good. Any time in the field is good. Any time in the field. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that time to, you know, be checking country that I know the bucks are arriving, you know, late June, mid-July, and they're, they're probably going to stay there. And, you know, if you draw a 150-mile circle around me through these three states I'm by, you know, there's two or three places that I, that I go. And, um, so that's, that's really what I, what I'm doing then to get ready. And, you know, and I still consider, you know, preseason right up into when hunting season opens. So that's kind of my July, August time frame. Once I get in the later part of July, except, except maybe a little bit of the higher country I'm looking at. And, you know, I've been doing it long enough. I'm not going to a lot of new areas, but I do not as a ritual, but as a habit more of, I try to get to some new areas each year, you know, one new area, something like that, just check it out. And, um, it's not real high on my priority list, but you know, if I'm not turning anything over, I've, maybe I've turned over some good bucks and they're, you know, I've got those cataloged, those bucks are there. I've got time to go look at some other country. I, I will. And, um, um, and you know, 80, 90% of this is, you know, on the ground, glassing early morning, late evening, middle of the day, if I know where a bedding area is, um, recon during the day, you know, trail systems, trail heads, you know, just, just that kind of stuff that eats up so much time during hunting season. If you haven't got it dialed in, that's why I talked about getting lost on the way to camp you know, a little while uh-huh. earlier because I've had that happen before. Like I don't know the unit very well. I didn't spend enough time in it and I get lost going back to camp, you know, and then you get back to camp at 1 a.m. Well, there's that whole attitude thing I'm talking about. Again. <laughs> you wake up in the morning, you're frazzled, you know, you, I don't sleep in, you know, I rarely sleep in. I get out there and do it, but you know, I'm just, you, you're losing your confidence, you know, and, and, and you got to overcome all this. That stuff's going to happen. Freaking broken down trucks and lost horses. That stuff's all going to happen. But if, if you, if you can prevent all as much of that as possible, you're going to just be more focused when it counts. And so, so, you know, a lot of, a lot of the daytime stuff is just kind of learning that recon and everything. And, um, so now most of the time I start bow hunting late August, cause that's when the season starts to open around here. And, you know, John, I, I, I try not to, but, you know, I, a lot of times I end up scouting. I mean, I've scouted to, to the morning before the season opens, you know, just still uh-huh. still looking for a good box, you know, stuff like that. But that that keeping up that pace from late June to the very end of August and then trying to turn around and go on a 10-day hunt, um, sometimes I just have to do it. I had to do that in 2013. Um, but um, it's not ideal. So the last couple of years, I've been able to kind of put a little bit of space between between scouting and when, when I actually start archery hunting these bucks. And, um, you know, and I'm talking five days, six days, something like that. And just to kind of get some rest. And, you know, obviously, you know, I got little kids and everything. And it probably sounds like I never, I never talked to them. That's not true at all. You know, I'm trying to spend time with them. And, you know, they're starting school then, you know, get them launched, all that kind of stuff. And, and I find on, when I can do that, that, um, you know, I'm, I'm a little more dialed when I go into the season, a little more rested. Rest is a good thing. You know, I didn't used to think that 
but you know, rest is a good thing. And, 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 and then I hunt better. You know what I mean? I'm, I, I'm mm-hmm. a little more ready to go. I'm not just going into the season tired, but you know, that too is not a, not something I can control every single year. It just depends on, on, on how everything's coming together. But on an ideal year, I've got a little bit of break between when I'm scouting and then when I actually do start hunting. And, um, so that's really kind of what my preseason looks like right there, John. And I don't know if you want to dig any questions out of that, but you know, that's, that's what it's going to look like uh, for the I next have, you know, 12 weeks. I got a million of questions. I keep forgetting to write them down. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know, I know one of the, uh, well, I got a couple of general questions for you. So, you said you use some trial cameras, but not a whole lot. What what uh, what are you looking for to put trail cameras on? Are well, you the, the, the around here. Or, oh, I'm sorry, the phone broke up there. You still talking? Go ahead. No, it's okay. I, I said you know, are you using them for water, or are you using them for trail systems, or okay, around uh, here where you... the deer are not heavily dependent on water because there's multiple water sources within a mile. Um, you know, for, for trail cameras to be really effective, I like to find a place where there's only a water source roughly per square mile. Um, and, you know, two or three miles is even better. Um, but there's not a lot of that around here. You know, I mean, in, in our desert country, there is. But, you know, these, most of these water holes, there's a road, you know, five feet from the water hole. And, you know, yep. it, it, there's many problems, as seems like you have in the southwest with getting trail cameras stolen. It still seems like the yeah, pretty good luck down there. A lot of people understand that's part of the game. They're pretty respectful. Dude, up here, we got the worst of the worst when it comes to criminal freaking backcountry deliverance style freaking <laughs> guys that they just don't even care. You know, I mean, if it's on public land, it's mine. You know, they don't, they don't care if it's your bear bay. I mean, it's just it's it's not good. And maybe it's that way everywhere, but you know, I just am amazed there can be 60 trail cameras on well that's probably an exaggeration 10 trail cameras on a water hole all summer and nobody gets their camera stolen that doesn't happen around here you gotta you gotta be away from the road and so since there's not a lot of that opportunity i'm just not doing it and you know not saying that that wouldn't be a good idea for the right guy that maybe knew knew some recon that i didn't know but i've only caught just several spots john that that's been effective where i'm not losing cameras that's the two things i have to put together doesn't do me any good to take, you know, a Saturday off and away from my family and, you know, drive a hundred miles to put a trail camera up. If it's not even going to be there in a week, you know, even if it's a good spot, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. so For sure. I, I am using them, but, but, but the original purpose, so the original name of those trail camera, I've actually had pretty good luck with putting them on heavily used trails in buck country that I've seen bucks in before. And, and, and that kind of qualifies it for me is okay. I, I'm not just randomly going, okay, there's a trail. Let's put a camera on it because I just, I can't be very efficient that way. Too many trails, too many places. But if it's like, okay, I've hunted this place on and off over the last 20 years. I know Buck's feet on that hillside right there. There's a trail in that saddle right above it and there's timber below it. I'm going to go over there with a camera or two and I'm going to see if I can find me a spot. And, you know, and, and so I've done that before and, and, and it's, it's fairly effective. Although I'll tell this to your guys that are thinking, well, I can't go out and do, you know, I'm supposed to go out and scout now and now I'm supposed to do trail cameras too and pick up antlers. <laughs> I mean, no, no. What, what I'm saying is I've also learned in places like that that are kind of semi-open. A 
a lot of times I'm picking up the same bucks in my glass that I am on the trail cameras. And so if it's semi open and I'm, you know, I, I, I try to make sure if I'm putting trail cameras out, I'm not going in it at noon. I'm out there glassing at daylight. You know, I'm going to be in the area anyways. Why don't I, why just let's make sure I'm there when the deer are up and moving, if you know what I mean. And so, so that's what I'm doing is, and I found a lot of times that, wow, I'm seeing the same bucks through my glass that I am on the trail camera. So maybe the trail camera is not even necessary in this area. That's not a hard and fast rule. You know, if you can do both, do it for sure. But if you can't, don't sweat it. Just try to get areas where you can glass. Be there at the prime times the deer are are, are up and moving, and you know you're probably you're probably going to have a pretty good chance of, of seeing them too. Um, but I, I do have one place that's really deserty. There's not another water source for over a mile, and you know it's 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 just a rough, nasty rattlesnake spot. You know, Yay. and I've had good <laughs> luck with trail cameras there. It's far enough from the road. I have had a trail camera stolen off the water source because that's how we roll in Idaho. Um, but um, there's a place where I can get back from the water source that, you know, thieves are, are bums typically. They're, you know, they're, they're going for the low hanging fruit. They're not going to hike up the trail a hundred yards and look for my trail camera under a bush. And I've had it there for years and, and picked up deer going in and out. So, so that's kind of something I've, I've used to, but you know, I'll end, end this whole thing with the trail camera part. I'm not a trail camera expert, but I've used them a lot. And um, I'd probably use them more if I lived in a more arid area. Yeah, no, it makes sense because there's more, there's more, uh, you know, target, there's a easier target, uh, place to put them. It's not so willy nilly. Um, are you using bear boxes and stuff when you, or yeah, was, the or, camera that got oh. stolen last year, I had a black Ovis, uh, bear box and, okay. um, I had their Python cable and, um, someone came in, I don't think they chopped it off with an ax cause there was no damage to the tree. So this bum was packing bolt cutters he had to be because there's i mean you you can't yeah. for half time i can't get it off the tree and i know the combination um um no no just a bum just a just a just a low life bum with a you know that, that better repent or he's going to hell um you know he just stole it and and it's great it's funny i called it stealth cam is what i'm using and they're like oh that guy's never going to find anything on that camera he can't even access it because you know i activate all the codes and everything and you know he yep. can break open to the bear box he can do all that stuff but you know he's basically just got a a wall ornament so that's that's hilarious <laughs> yeah i i started buying those cameras that had those codes in there too mm-hmm. um moving along a little bit i wanted to I, you mentioned keeping a journal mm-hmm. i want to know what are the things what 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 data do you find because i know over the year for the years for myself i mean i went from uh you know documenting mm-hmm everything to narrowing it down yeah. to these are the things that uh that helped me uh you know in the field so what what is it that you're that's funny because mine was the same john i used to write an encyclopedia on every scouting trip and then over the years i kind of re- realized i'm not even going back and reading all that stuff all i'm doing is looking up well what was the access that's that's the main thing how do i get in there because i need to be there when the deer are up you can't be late you know, I, I, I cannot, right. I can know the best butt country in the world. And this is why I'm all about dialing my stuff in and, you know, make sure my truck runs. If, if, if my starter's been grinding for two months and I just keep going on a wing and a prayer, I guarantee that starter is going to go out that morning at camp at 4.30 a.m. 
and I'm not going to be up in my spot by daylight. I'm going to be getting there 45 minutes after daylight, which I've learned with these older bucks, these four, five, six, seven, eight year old bucks, that that's, that's an eternity from, from, from first light before the sun's up to mm-hmm. that first half hour. That's an eternity for them. They are on the move typically, even in the summer. And you know, they're getting into the cover. It's hot. That's where they want to be. They want the shade and they just don't, they just don't like being in the open in daylight. So I got I got a no in my journal. I have things written down like 25 minute walk to the glassing point, you know, or an hour drive to the trailhead and then one half hour to where I can start to see into that basin. Just simple stuff like that, because I will actually go back and read that. That's what matters, you know, but I don't have the temperature and the humidity and the relative barometric pressure, just a date access, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, I'll note, you know, notable weather, you know, raining today, you know, big snowstorm, you know, I'll put that kind of stuff down. And then um, animal movements, you know, like, hey, the deer were, the deer are using this, they seem to use this southwest side of this mountain until, um, you know, mid-September. And then I just quit seeing them, you know, and, and if it's in a unit where there's no hunting pressure, then I know it's okay. Well, it's just the, the deer moving moving off that slope. The food's gone. I don't know. Just little things like that, you know, but I'm not out there cataloging, you know, the, 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 the length of the leaders on the bitter brush, you know, not that that's a bad deal, but what I just kind of learned over the years, I don't go back and read that stuff. You know, my, my memory's well enough to remember a, a good year and a dry year, you know, and stuff like that. And, 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 and to me, it just, I just kind of realized as I get older, it's not that exact of a science, you know, these, these deer aren't having a board meeting every morning and, and, you know, and, and coming up with their plan or everything. No, they're just being deer. And, and I need to be out there when they're up and moving. And my journal needs to tell me where I've seen them, where to glass from, how long it takes to get there, to, you know, average weather conditions that I'm seeing them. You know, obviously, I have a date in my journal, so I know the time of year. Um, and then, you know, maybe, maybe a few other little things like, there, you know, there's a, good, there's a good camp at the top of the ridge where the tree fell over. There's a spring running out. For the horses down below that, you know, just little things like that, that you might forget if you don't go back and hunt that for, for a few years. Um, um, I, I'm surprised at how much a guy can forget when it comes to access. It just amazes me. Like even from a year, you know, like uh-huh. you just drive into your unit and you think you're going to your spot. And then all of a sudden it's like, where the heck am I? And drive back down the road an hour later, you figure out, oh my gosh, there, there's another fork there that I didn't even, I forgot about that place, you know, and I, I went the wrong way. So, so just little things like that to make me efficient is really what my journal's about. Gotcha. I used to be super, super detailed. And let me tell you why, because I, I, you said something that I kind of disagreed with, uh, you know, about the deer not having a board meeting or whatever, but I did, I, I, I realized this, well, I realized this a lot early on when my white, when I was a, you know, big whitetail hunter, but I also noticed it. And a matter of fact, I talked about it on that podcast a little bit with, with uh, Scotty that I started making mental note of weather conditions, like wind conditions more than anything, uh, wind and, and barometer and moon and stuff like that. And when I, I used to do that all the time that I would find deer let's say a bedded buck, if I made a, a note that day, I said, I found this buck bedded up underneath this, you know, whatever, uh, rim rock or whatever. And I, and I noted the weather conditions, the wind, which way it was coming, the time of day and all that stuff. 
that every time I had those conditions, it was very likely that I would find a deer in that same spot. And because I feel like deer, more so than any other animal, choose where they're going to lay, what they're going to do based on those things. Like they have a routine, like, you know, a daily routine. This is my, this is my loop. Okay. That I do every day. But when the weather is like this, my loop changes just a little bit. I, you know, and I, when I, when I started paying attention to those things and um, like, it doesn't stop me from going hunting, you know, like I'm not going to go hunting because this is, this is why I stopped writing these notes down is because I only have seven days to hunt. And just because the weather conditions aren't great that day, doesn't mean I'm not going to go hunting. So I'm going to go hunting no matter what, but I still keep a mental note of things. And like, even when I'm coyote hunting, like this is one of those things where I can just drop everything and go for the morning. If I see like the next morning or if I see a, a storm front's coming in, especially when I'm summertime, I'm doing summer coyotes. If a monsoon comes in late that evening and it's all night long, I know if I get my ass out there in the morning, I'm going to call in a coyote because they had a hard time hunting in that crappy weather. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't know. I just, uh, I no, want to throw, I wouldn't disagree with any of that, John. Um, and, 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 you know, like um, the, the wind direction, I didn't even mention it because I guess I just take all that in as part of, you know, when I've seen deer, this is where they go. This is what they're doing, but I wouldn't dispute any of that. And I think that's good Intel to have, but, but then you kind of also, you said you even moved away from it because after a while your brain catalogs all that. You just mentioned the thunderstorm. Maybe that's written in a journal way, way, way back when. Right. Right. But you just know it now. Right. Yep. And so, 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 so yeah. So maybe, maybe if somebody is starting off, they should probably do exactly what we did. Catalog everything. Totally catalog everything. Because then, then you will kind of learn, you know, your hunting style and, you know, maybe, maybe you never go hunting seven days in a row. You just hunt close to town and you hunt 30 days, but you only hunt two hours a morning. And so, you know, that maybe, maybe you need different recon than what we do. Like, I am not going to go today because the wind is blowing from that way. Hey, yeah, there's some places like that. Definitely. So, so don't want to make that too much of a solid statement of don't record the little stuff because, because you you just made a good case for it, that there can be some good stuff in there. Yeah. Well, um, I feel like we could go on and on and on and on here. I had a bunch of questions as we were talking, but I kept forgetting them. I'm so bad about writing things down because uh, it's something I need. I usually interrupt people and then I try to get away from that because because um, I told that I, uh, my cousin Anthony told me I interrupt people too often. <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> well, I got well, I got one other thing we didn't hit on that that I was going to talk about in, in scouting that I wanted to hit on just really. Quick. Okay, yeah, sure. And that, that is aerial scouting, you know, flying, flying your units. And, um, you know, first of all, you know, I try to be really transparent with people on everything I do. Just, you know, I don't, I, you know, I don't hide what I do. You know, I, I stay within the law and everything I do. I got nothing to hide. Um, and, and I've kind of noticed in the hunting industry, I know a lot of guys that fly and they're, maybe they're just smarter than me, but they just don't even talk about it because people get their panties in such a knot over it. 
you know, they act like you're up there, you know, with a with, with a Ma Deuce mounted on the, the front of the Piper Cub, you know, mowing down the herd. Um, you know, I don't know what they think, but it's it's just so a lot of guys and a lot of guys that fly, especially in these big mountain units, you know, there's 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 little airports in every town. You know, there's guys flying a lot of those units. And um, um, but, you know, I I I know why guys don't talk about it. But at the same time, I, I'm a pretty transparent guy. I, I do want to talk about it. And and first of all, you know, the, 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 the main thing is, is, is people need to understand kind of the whole laws governing uh, governing aerial scouting. And, and I'm working on an article right now with Boone and Crockett. I mean, I'm in touch with Boone and Crockett right now over, you know, their fair chase uh, statement on on what they say on on that. And if you read Boone and Crockett's um, fair chase uh, statement, or, you know, their ethics statements, um, I mean, I have the terms right on what they call that, but um, they, they, they will not accept a, an animal that was spotted from the air and then landed in the vicinity is, is how the word okay. goes. And so what I've, what I've noticed, and I've got into a, a, a few little kind of back and forth with some guys over the years that, they, they, they'll just walk around and say, no, aerial scouting is illegal. I mean, that violates the whole code of ethics. And it's like, well, that's not what Boone and Crockett says. Boone and Crockett says it's landing in the vicinity for the, for the and they clarified with me because I said, so, so what's the vicinity? I mean, is the vicinity the airport five miles away or is it, you know, the one ridge over? You know, what, what is it? And they're like, no, no, it's, it's landing in the vicinity for the purpose of a stalk. Right is 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 really what that is and and, and when they when, when when they clarified that i thought you know that's good that's good language right there because that is where a lot of the like Boone and crockett goes by vicinity uh-huh. but states go by time okay so if you look at every state's aerial scouting rules um it's something like 24 to 48 hours i think alaska's 24 hours nevada's 48 hours you know you know, it's a time thing. And so states have gone with the with the time thing because they want, you know, that animal to have enough time to get away, which I totally agree with. And um, Boone and Crockett has gone with the vicinity. But the whole principle is the same is that, you know, you're giving this animal the whole definition of fair chase is does the animal have a reasonable chance of escaping? And and, and that's where I'm going with all this is so if aerial scouting is done properly. Um, and, and within the law, to me, it's, it's, it fits Boone and Crockett's criteria. You're not landing in the vicinity. If you're following the state laws, you're not hunting within whatever their time regulation is. And it's a little different if every state, then to me, the ethics aren't a problem. And I, and I have the proof for that because prior to Google earth, there was really no way to go look at a mountain range other than, you know, really fly over it. And it wasn't even really to just necessarily spot the bucks. That's that's awesome when that happens. But, you know, you're sometimes you can't you can't. It's just like regular scouting. You don't always see them. They're not standing where you can see them. Um, but, you know, just learning your country. So once Google Google Earth came out and you know, I, I flew a lot less because it's just, you know, you can you can take a look at the country. But I still do do it on occasion. You know, I probably get five to ten hours a year and any new unit I always try to fly. And, you know, you can you can hire uh, if you're not a pilot yourself, you can hire a, a pilot out of the local FBO. That's a fixed based operator. You know, all the all the little airports will know somebody that can do that. You know, if it's a towered airport, they'll have somebody on staff that does it. And, you know, you got to be careful, make sure they know the mountains and everything. You know, it, you know it's, it can be it can be very dangerous. You know, it's not just flying from airport to airport. But um, 
But, you know, you you can do that and get a really good feel for your unit, even better than Google Earth, you know. And Google Earth, is, it's still, until it's live satellite feed, hope it never is. But, you know, you're still you're still having to kind of use your experience in mule deer country to figure out that is a good looking ridge right there. And that is a good looking basin. And so anyways, I always have that in my um, in my toolbox, too. And, and, I, and I do use it on occasion. And I think, especially if somebody's coming new to a unit, it is money well spent. If you can find a pilot that has a good plane, that, that is, is experienced, well experienced in the mountains, don't just assume it, you gotta ask it. And, you know, cause you're gonna be flying, you know, 500 feet above ridgetop, stuff like that. You, you know, but that, but that is, 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 is a technique that a lot of guys are using, not a lot of guys are talking about, but a lot of guys are using. And if it's done correctly, uh, that's why there's a whole chapter in my a sub chapter in my book about it. It it gives the animal plenty of opportunity oh, to yeah. get away, and I know it because I've seen so many big bucks over the years from the air, and I've only killed about two or three of them over the years. You know, there's just you get on the ground. You know, we you know most of the time when I fly, I never fly during the season. You know, and um, um, and, and if I do, I follow any of the laws that apply to it. So you know, if, you, if you're in the air. You can't you can't hunt for forty eight hours. I just make sure I don't. Okay, but um, but most night really literally ninety nine percent of any of the flying I've ever I've ever done has been you know July August you know stuff like that. And so you know for you guys that uh, you know are looking to like I started the podcast off with you know sometimes we're doing some pretty uncommon things. That's that's one of them that uh, that myself and I know you know quite a few other hunters are taking care of or taking advantage of. It got so bad in Wyoming though. Um, that they put in a ban from August 1st to I think the end of December every year, an actual an aerial scouting ban, which I agreed with. I mean, it's just like anything. When there's too much of it going on, it starts to affect people. And, you know, guys were up there on foot scouting and, you know, here comes a plane buzzing right over them. You know, not once, but, you know, multiple times on their scouting trip. It was just ruining the experience. And so so I I'm totally agree with that, too. And that's why it's so I wanted to talk about the laws and kind of the ethics of it all, how it kind of all fits together. Gotcha. Yeah. I don't, honestly, I don't have a problem with it at all. I don't, I didn't even see why people with, aside from parachuting out of the damn plane on top of where you're going <laughs> to, like, I don't see how it really, I mean, how it's that, how it could be considered unethical. You know, if you're flying, let's say if you're flying a plane, most of the time you're not going to be able to land anywhere near where you're looking at anyway. A helicopter, maybe, you know, but or a drone, yeah, or a drone. Yep, yep. Um, I, I don't know. You fly over, you fly back to the airport. By the time you get back over to where you 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 want to go hunting, what's the chances of that animal being right where you left it? Exactly. To not, especially if you stay within the law. So, like Nevada, Nevada is a great flying state. There's a lot of it that's wide open, but you can wait 48 hours, and there can't be any other big game season going on. Yeah. Um, when you fly, you know, it has to be all preseason. So, so yeah, I'm with you, dude. It's, it's, uh, that's, what I'm saying. that's why I think there's so many misconceptions about it. But, you know, you look at all our big hunting states, Idaho, tons of flying going on, our whole whole middle fork. That's all backcountry pilots going in and out, dropping off elk hunters, deer hunters. These guys are all flying those mountains. And for a long time, we didn't even have a 24-hour rule. But I think about five or eight years ago, they put one in just, just to kind of get in line with other Western states and, you know, make sure we didn't have a future problem. And it was also because drones now, or become yeah. um, pretty prolific. And and, and the, the thing with a drone and what I'm getting with talking with Boone and Crockett, 
that's kind of their problem is is like so when they, when they have that in their fair chase ethics that you know any, any animal spotted from the air and then landing in the vicinity you know can't be entered into their um, into the record books, it violates their standard of fair chase. Well, you know, if you're flying a, you know, a Piper Cub, um, you know, they can land in some pretty, pretty, you know, nasty places, but you still can't land close to the deer. I mean, you just can't. Right. And, but a drone, oh, flip, dude. I know a place up here along the Long Valley Road where I could fire up a drone, fly it over this ridge, wait till about 10 o'clock in the morning and just, just get up there. I could find bedded bucks. And, um, you know, wham the drone, walk up there and, and, you know, I don't even need the glass anymore. Yeah. Well, obviously that's not good. And that, so that's why that gets into the whole vicinity thing, you know, like, and, you know, maybe, maybe it's not going to fit the classic definition of what Boone and Crocker puts out there. But, you know, if I'm, if I'm, you know, drones don't fly a long, long ways, you know, it's not like I could fly one, you know, four miles away and bring it back. Right. You know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be in the vicinity of that deer if I'm up there looking with the drone. And so to me, that one's, you know, a, a clear violation of it, but, you know, in, in most type of aircraft, you know, you're even a powered parachute, you know, you're 28 miles an hour, you know, you're not, you're not swooping over and looking at them in their bed, you know, you're just, you know, oh, there's some bucks over there and, you know, here's a water source, you know, stuff like that. So anyways, I just wanted to put that out there. You know, I don't hear a lot of guys talk about it. And yet, you know, I know what's going on. And and um, just, you know, for, for all of you guys that are out there that are trying to tip the odds in your favor, you know, that if you do it legally and you do it right, I, I think it could be helpful. Yeah, for sure. Well, awesome, man. I think we gave a lot of nuggets and uh, you uh, definitely let everybody into the mind of of an elite hunter um <laughs> thank you so i uh i appreciate you coming on and sharing that that with us and uh i look forward to seeing uh what you what you got in store for us this this season looking forward to it. i think i'm hunting wyoming and then this year i'm i'm I'm, uh, I'm applying for a muzzleloader tag in idaho and actually in a brand new unit i've only ever driven through the unit before but I'm doing the buddy system. I've got a guy that knows the unit well. I've got to know him over the years. I think we're pretty equally matched. Um, so I went ahead and applied with him. Um, and uh, so we'll, we'll see how that comes out if we draw. And um, so that'll kind of be my two hunts right there that I'm doing this year. And if not, I'll just, I'll just go on a general season over the counter tag. Sounds good, bro. All right, man. Good to talk to you. Likewise. Okay. Thanks again, John. Take it easy.